Welcome to the Value-Based Care Perspectives Podcast. In this show, award-winning healthcare executive Ronnie Katerpal will take you on a journey of exploration focusing on the value-based care landscape and healthcare transformation. Here's your host, Ronnie Katerpal. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of Value-Based Care Perspectives. I am very excited to introduce our guest today. Ashley Ridlin is Evelyn Health's Vice President of Health Policy, and she's joining us today to talk a little bit about how healthcare policy has evolved as, as it relates to value-based care over the course of, of the last few years and, and really what it's going to look like as we move into the future here, especially with the administration change. Ashley currently leads the development and implementation of Evelyn's health policy and advocacy strategy and drives value-based care health transformation across the country. Throughout her career, Ashley has worked to improve the way healthcare is delivered and financed with prior federal policy roles in home care and hospice sectors, United States Senate, CMS Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation, and the Bipartisan Policy Center. So extremely well qualified to talk about this subject, Ashley. Tell us a little bit about what drove you uh, to jump into healthcare policy. But before we get into that, first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you. <laughs> super, Thank you. Super, very, uh, super excited to, to talk about this because it's so, so relevant, especially, you know, given time of where we are with the administration change. But before we get into that, I definitely want to hear a little bit more about you. So tell us what drove you to jump into to healthcare policy. Sure. Uh, well, thanks again for the opportunity to join today. You know, I, I grew up around healthcare. I My father was a small town family physician and my mother was a nurse. But what I would say really drove me sort of into this field was being a family caregiver for my grandmother in her later years. So really just seeing how terribly, even for people who knew healthcare, how terribly fragmented and inefficient our healthcare system is, you know, just really jumped out to me. I ended up volunteering for a hospice and, and then you know, through that work saw, wow, you know, this is how healthcare could be. You know, it's coordinated, it's team-based, it's efficient, it's patient-centered, made a ton of sense. Why can't all healthcare be this way? So that really spurred my interest, I would say, early on in Mm -hmm. in terms of solving problems that our healthcare system faces and went from there. So studied medical sociology and gerontology in in college and graduate school. And then as you just uh, shared with our our listeners, started in, in healthcare policy over 16 years ago, working first for the home care, a home care trade association, and then several roles both inside and outside of government from there. Very interesting background and really interesting how your earlier experience with hospice really drove your interest in, in getting into shaping policy. What's, what's very interesting about your background, and I know is definitely a point of curiosity for a lot of our listeners, is, is really your time at CMS and CMMI. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure, happy to. So I had just left um, the United States Senate after about five years working on a variety of healthcare policies, but really specializing, I would say, in Medicare with my boss working on the Senate Finance Committee. 
And as we were crafting the Affordable Care Act, of course, we Congress enacted a number of new changes, including Medicare ACOs with the Medicare Shared Savings mm-hmm. Program and the creation of the CMS Innovation Center. So, mm-hmm. you know, I was excited about what it was that Congress was doing at that time and really felt like there was a great opportunity to to go over to CMS and work on actually implementing these new models of care. And so that's what I did. I went for the first couple of years and focused. I was working on the first big national model out of the gate, which was the Partnership for Patients, mm-hmm. as well as the Community-Based Care Transitions Program. So what I re- my role ended up being very focused on all of the health, uh, innovation center portfolio and how we were working to reduce readmissions to hospitals and improve care transitions. So great, uh, interesting work. The innovation center was um, very small. I want to say about 30 staff members when I first started. And I think in the two years that I was there, it grew to a couple hundred and has grown many more times since then. <laughs> so, you know, and certainly launched many models uh, since then. So really, really exciting work there. Yeah, you seem like you were there during, you know, a lot of change and evolution and saw a lot of things kind of take shape. So you mentioned a couple of the models you were involved in. I know that currently there there are a a lot of different models and a lot of different focus areas without getting into, you know, granular level detail because, you know, the show is only about half an hour. Can you, can you walk us through some of the main differences between the different models that are currently in place that CMS is focused on? Sure. Yes. I would say that, you know, the models fall into several sort of different buckets. One, I would say, is sort of a, a more population health, total cost of care types of models. And so look at the ACO programs where, you know, Pioneer ACO was one that came out of the CMS Innovation Center, Next Generation ACO. That's evolved somewhat into direct contracting models. That is operated out of a group called Seamless Care at the Innovation Center. And then the patient care models have been more sort of episodic. And sorry, I, I would I would say also with, with the population health models, there are some that are more focused on primary health care. So think about comprehensive primary care, CPC plus, mm-hmm. primary care first, that type of thing, where there's somewhat of a total cost of care model, but just different approaches to payment and, and really a primary care focus. And then the patient care models group looks at models that are more episodic in nature, you know, bundled payment, the oncology care model, things that are really focused around a particular disease uh, state, ESRD is another area, and and kidney care. We've seen some new kidney models come out this year. There's been some broader population health models, accountable health communities comes to mind, and models focused on maternal health and on kids. That's probably a lesser developed area of the Innovation Center, but I think there's been a lot of growth in that area in recent years because that does bring in programs like Medicaid and CHIP, and, and those have been a little bit slower to come, come online than the Medicare models. Yeah, and and that's very interesting, right, because it feels like they started at sort of a top-of-funnel approach, looking at broader health care and then sort of funneling it down into these very specific areas. You mentioned evolution, and I, I like that word a lot, assuming that a lot of our commercial payers are sort of in the wings and, and following and traditionally do follow what CMS does in terms of models and things of that nature. 
how how do you feel this evolution has impacted or uh, will impact the commercial commercial payer landscape? Sure. Yes. So interestingly, I think there's been you know even more growth and potentially even faster growth of uh, alternative payment models in the, in commercial lines of business, Medicare Advantage, and other plan types. You know, I think those there's all different flavors of those types mm-hmm. of models in terms of, you know, what amount of, you know, it might be a capitation model if it's, say, Medicare Advantage or Medicaid MCO, but how much of that capitation is then delegated to providers? So, you know, what the role mm-hmm. is of providers, what's the role of kind of quality and payment? Is it more mm-hmm. of a medical home model where we pay you some money um, to do certain care coordination types of interventions? But there's no real downside risk. So there's really a continuum from, you know, no downside risk and upfront payment to, okay, now there's real skin in the game and, and it's really more of a provider delegated model. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, you know, as with CMMI, we also see sometimes these episodic types of approaches or, you know, certainly with New Century Health, focusing on models like oncology or cardiology where you can really get in there and manage a particular specialty. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Now, it, switching gears a little bit and talking about how policy has evolved under different administrations, you know, your experience with CMMI sort of evolved under the Obama administration, and then Trump came in four years ago, and we had a change in leadership. What, what looking in past in the past four years under the Trump administration, what to you were the key drivers in, in shaping policy for healthcare during the last four years? Sure. A couple of things come to mind. You know, one is that there's been a huge focus on price transparency and lower prices for consumers in a number of areas. Mm-hmm. Certainly drug pricing was a huge priority of this administration and there was policy making, regulatory policy making in kind of a number of different programs focused on drug pricing. There was, you know, a focus on reducing provider burden and reducing regulatory burden. You know, the kind of buzzwords were meaningful measures and mm-hmm. patients over paperwork. And so you know, I think that'll, I'd really like to look back at all of that now that we've seen, you know, some of those things take root and, and sort of evaluate, you know, what of those types of measures are, are kind of working, you know, what else maybe needs to be done, making sure there's no unintended consequences, that type of thing. You know, certainly there was a, a focus on that was very different philosophically from the Obama administration, where the Affordable Care Act was so, so politically polarized and certainly a a very different philosophical approach in Medicaid where it was, you know, give more flexibility to the state's work requirements. I think that's something that is very different, a different philosophy, obviously, with both Obama administration and the incoming Biden administration. Mm -hmm. But so some of those things, I think that the Trump administration pursued, like drug pricing, may stick around and move forward or, you know, transparency, and, and, and things like that. There was you know, huge moves in telehealth, some of that spurred mm-hmm. by COVID. I, I think there are a lot of things that could potentially continue and then some other things that, you know, I think there will be different directions. Do you think that change will be dramatic overall as we, as we see the Biden administration take charge? Sure. I think in value-based care, I don't think the change will be terribly dramatic. 
I believe, you know, value-based care has always enjoyed a lot of bipartisan support and has, you know, we've seen these models now operate under a couple of administrations and really be going in the same direction. You know, could the Biden administration come in and say, you know, let's not test that model or let's make changes to that model? Yes, that may happen, but I do think it's continuing to move in the same direction. In other areas, Medicaid in particular, or uh, the Affordable Care Act, I think the changes will be a lot more, you know, dramatic. So, you know, areas where the Trump administration decreased investments, such as Affordable Care Act outreach and enrollment, I think the Biden administration will increase investment or, you know, certainly on Medicaid and, and how CMS will receive waiver uh, requests from state, states, I think, will be very different where, you know, the Biden administration will be focused on growing Medicaid roles to the extent possible, in particular, you know, following COVID and yeah. declines in, in coverage rates. Yeah. The, the you know, the, the Biden administration is in full swing and in, in making their appointments, and, and there's been some announcements thus far. What do we know about these folks and and you know, are they are they disruptors? Are they innovators? Will they, you know, kind of continue what was started under the Obama administration, go full speed ahead, or will they be more cautious about things? Sure, I think that I would I will reserve judgment because you know <laughs> I do think you know it's it's hard to know exactly you know where these nominees and appointees um will go and you know certainly they're under the direction of the president and the president's priorities you know but I do think you know, we are seeing some more increasingly progressive nominees being chosen you know California AG Becerra tapped to serve as HHS secretary mm-hmm. so he's you know he's defended the Affordable Care Act. He's, you know, focused on cross containment and drug pricing. He's fought provider consolidation in California. You know, potentially I could see him really focusing on health disparities, you know, as a priority. We've also seen some other key appointments made. Andrea Palm as Deputy Health Secretary and she was uh, health secretary in Wisconsin and you know, certainly had to navigate very tricky politics in the state. And so I think, you know, she'll be really, you know, she's, she's a veteran of the Obama administration and has worked on Capitol Hill. So, you know, certainly knows her way around HHS and, you know, the health policy landscape here. So we're seeing a lot of uh, folks with experience, I think, and also, you know, very much in line with the priorities that we've seen Biden put out there in terms of defending the Affordable Care Act, potentially expanding on Mm -hmm. those coverage provisions and potentially expanding Medicare benefits and Medicare eligibility. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. It'll be interesting to see how this how this takes shape over the course of the next several months and and really as they start getting their own priorities together you know, what that looks like. I know there's a lot of folks waiting in the wings anxiously, you know, trying mm-hmm. to try to anticipate that. So, so, so let me ask you this question. We have a lot of providers that are just starting out in the value-based care world. Some of them have a ton of experience, some of them not so much. From a policy perspective, what should, what should providers be aware of? What's coming that they need to be prepared for, both, both mentally and also from a practice standpoint? Sure. I think, you know, in the near term, you know, first and foremost, the Biden administration is focused on the COVID response. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we have seen now, I believe it's a $1.9 trillion proposal from the Biden administration, and it covers everything from increased investment in testing to focus on the vaccine rollout and provider support. 
I think those will be huge priorities in the near term. So providers, you know, are very much focused on making sure that they're, you know, they're supporting the vaccine rollout. And a huge part of that really is is going to be around messaging and, and making mm-hmm. sure that Americans, even including healthcare workers, are, you know, understand what vaccines are available, how they work, what's their safety and efficacy. So I think this is going to be a huge lift in the first, you know, we've already seen a mask challenge um, issued sort of for the first 100 days and a commitment to rolling out 100 million vaccines in the first 100 days. And, you know, so ambitious goals, but I think that's really what is on the horizon in the near term. And then connected with that, with for providers, there are many flexibilities offered under these COVID waivers during the public health emergency. So the public health emergency now extends until April. And I believe that I wouldn't be surprised to see the Biden administration extend it yet again. And so that includes a lot of flexibilities, telehealth being really the most notable, but some others, including supervision requirements and sites of service and some others needed to help address the pandemic. You know, beyond that, I think we could see Medicare sort of be on the table. And, you know, if if Congress has the will and, you know, the votes to pursue any expansions to coverage policies or Medicare, there's mm-hmm. always that risk that provider payments become, get put on the table as potential pay-fors. Okay. So I think that's, that's something providers will, will be looking out for. You know, and I think in value-based care, making sure that whatever the conversation is on Medicare in the coming years, that we really focus on making sure that value-based care is still a big part of that. You know, for example, if Medicare were ever expanded to cover, you know, younger-aged individuals, so Medicare buy-in, for example, for 60-year-olds and up, we'd want to make sure that the value-based care types of models could translate into that new eligibility category. Yeah, lots lots coming down potentially for providers, and, and I know that it's going to take uh, definitely a lot of learning on their part, but it sounds like it's going to be um, gradual, if anything. There's some immediate, obvious priorities that need to be taken care of, so that, that's, that's a good thing. So, so, Ashley, last question here. Fast forward four years. What does value-based care look like? <laughs> this, is, this is a tough question. I can tell you what I, I hope it might look more like, which is, you know, I, I, I think one of the things we'll be looking out for and asking for is for this administration and, and for Congress to continue to support the path to value. So clear, you know, here's where we're going, by when, what does it look like? making sure that these models can continue to work, not just for CMS, but also for the providers uh, participating in them and for the patients. So I think there's a lot, you know, we need to have a conversation about the sustainability of these models. I'd like to see potentially fewer models out there, frankly. There, you know, there are many, many models operating alongside one another, and there are significant issues with model overlap. So I think, you know, potentially streamlining models, Better data sharing would be fantastic. I think CMS mm-hmm. is actually focused on this. You know, huge question is, you know, will we see more mandatory participation models? And I think you know, we just don't know yet what 
what tax the Biden administration will take, but there is some precedent with the Obama administration having proposed mandatory models. So that will be a big question. And I, I hope we'll see continued growth of models across payers and more coordination across payers. So this landscape may look more like we have accountable care organizations and direct contracting entities for these big population health models, but we also have, you know, more episodic disease specific models and they're all able to operate, you know, across payers in geographies in a way that is more cohesive and and more seamless and and really is, you know, more patient-centered. I think there will be a lot of focus in the coming years on health equity and just the patient-centeredness and the patient experience of Mm -hmm. care in these models. Mm -hmm. So safe to say we're we're sort of just getting started with this (laughs) based on what you're saying. It's a lot. It's a lot that we look forward to, right? So, well, Ashley, thank you so much for for joining us today and taking the time to talk about this. I know um, this is a piece, a policy piece that a lot of folks always wonder about. And so I think your perspective is very helpful in in getting an idea of, of what is actually happening, you know, especially with the administration change. I think there's a lot of questions. So really appreciate you as well as as your thoughts and and your perspectives on this. Thank you very much for being here today. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Thank you. And and thank you to our listeners for joining today and, and listening to this episode. Don't forget to subscribe so that you can be made aware as, as new episodes become available. And Ashley, thank you again. And everyone, be well. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Value-Based Care Perspectives podcast. To learn more about value-based care and healthcare transformation, or if you'd like to be a guest on the show, visit www.vbcperspectives.com.